Good morning. Are we doing well? Good. The sun is shining a little bit better than when I first arrived this morning. I thought I was wildly um, dressed in the wrong way. Uh, summer and it was raining when I arrived, so I was a bit disappointed about that. Having said that, I am uber excited to be here today. And um, I was speaking, I'm speaking to all the services. Um, and when the invite came, um, it was to come and speak about creation, about the environment. Now, you've got to understand, I've been talking about this subject for nearly 14 years, and not that many people have been excited about it. I have been convincing people that this is the most important, exciting, relevant topic we should be talking about as Christians, and they've not always been convinced. So I would go and talk about other subjects and slip it in and, you know, try and raise awareness. So... Um, I was super excited to be um, invited to come and speak on this subject. But having said that, I feel that I must start with a confession. Um, and that was, so I've been at Tear Fund uh, for um, just over 14 years now. Um, I know you'd, I don't look old enough, is what you're all thinking. Um, but nine months before I started working for Tear Fund, I had become a Christian um, not nine months before, but when I was 17, um, in, I was living in Dorset, Somerset, and uh, I was just, you know, had a, such a profound encounter with Jesus, um, you know, really changed my life. And so I was just this uber enthusiastic, um, I just wanted to learn and grow in my faith. And we had uh, these visiting speakers that would come to the church maybe every, uh, well, two to three times a year. And so whenever they came, I was there. I mean, they were just a little bit better than the normal speakers we had. So I was there on the front row ready to learn. And I know you don't have that problem here. Um, and uh, ready and excited to learn. And they came one time and they spent 40 minutes, we, we had long sermons there, um, 40 minutes talking about the environment. And I walked out of church that day and I thought to myself, you have just wasted 40 minutes of my life. Yes, I did actually think that. I'm slightly uh, humbled, ashamed, and uh, it's kind of awkward that this is now my main topic. But I, uh, I walked out of church thinking, I come to church to learn about my relationship with God. Why are you talking to me about the environment? Why has that got anything to do with, you know, this exciting Jesus that I've encountered and has changed my life? Um, and uh, it's, you know, suffice to say, things have changed. Um, and I've begun to realize, I, so nine months later, I started at Tear Funds. And by that point, I was utterly convinced that God cared about people living in poverty. Uh, he cared about justice, and he cared about um, the level of oppression that people lived on around the world. Um, and I got to Tear Funds, and what I learned was that uh, climate change, so the, the change in climate was having a huge impact on the lives of people living in poverty, undermining uh, the lives that they've been living often for generations. Uh, the land wasn't producing in the same way. The frequency of droughts and floods and other things was having a huge impact. And then I sort of got to this point um, of cognitive dissonance where you begin to realize Hmm. Now, if I really care about people living in poverty, and the environment apparently is a really big deal for them, and you know, more and more science was coming out then, and increasingly so in the last 14 years, that so much of this has been human-induced, 
and lots of it done in ignorance and we didn't realize that actually this was an area that I needed to engage with and that actually I needed to care about. And so I very reluctantly, um, if I'm honest, came to this. And uh, I'm not naturally an outdoors person. Um, I love watching you know, things like Blue Planet 2 on my sofa in the warm. <laughs> I'm not naturally that person. Um, and so really it's been an act of obedience and engaging with going back to scripture really and understanding the earth um, is God's uh, treasured possession that he created and gave to us to sustain us. And I know you've been looking um, at different restored relationships and thinking about that relationship with God, with others, with ourselves, and with creation. And I've begun to study this over the years in much more detail and done a lot more theological reading and um, studied this particularly in my theology masters that I did and began to understand, you know, that view that I had um, before, you know, when I walked out of church that day thinking this was irrelevant was such a disconnected understanding of faith, of the mission of God, of what he was wanting to do. And so uh, the best sort of way I can think to describe this, so um, I recently got married, but before that I was uh, house sharing, and I used to borrow my housemate's car. Um, now I just, to say I'm a safe driver, um, usually, but um, I am a safe driver all the time, honestly. I'm digging a hole, aren't I? Um, but uh, when I used to borrow his car, I would be particularly safe because I didn't want to take the car back um, in any kind of damaged condition or anything to go wrong. Um, because, you know, if I did, my housemate, well, he would have killed me, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, but if I had driven his car around, um, you know, ragged it around the streets, mounted curbs, left the windows open when it was raining and the seats got wet, and handed that back to my housemate. What, what do you think that might do to our relationship? I mean, it, yeah, it wouldn't be great. Um, what would you think I thought of him? Not a lot. Like quite a severe lack of respect, lack of gratitude, and it would affect my relationship with him. And I guess I've begun to realize the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And how on earth I thought that my relationship with his creation wouldn't affect my relationship with him, wasn't deeply connected to my relationship with him, was, was, became to be a revelation to me I'd understood my face to be me and God, and nothing else particularly mattered. And I began to understand this is much broader and deeper than I understood. And so, uh, as I talk about this, um, I want you to keep that background in mind. This is not the topic that I ever thought I would spend my life talking about and studying and convincing other people of. And it has been this journey for me. And although I've been, for the last five years, journeying towards a zero-waste lifestyle, so that's sending nothing to landfill, um, I'm, I've reduced my waste by about 80 to 90%, but I'm not 100% there yet. I'm journeying with this myself and getting things wrong all the time. 
Um, but I'm here because I think God invites us into a deeper uh, walk with him, a deeper sense of discipleship and bearing witness to him in a broken, messed up world. And he's calling us to respond. And so um, before we get on to what we can do, it's probably good for us to have a bit of a quick run through of where we are at. Um, and I can't cover everything, but I'm going to give you some big stats. So we 2.12 billion tons of waste is produced globally each year. Um, so in the UK, we throw away enough plastic to fill two double-decker buses every 30 seconds. Yes, that is every 30 seconds, when you're awake, when you're asleep. 99% uh, of the stuff we buy is thrown away within six months. That is a crazy stat, and not much has changed on that in the last 10 years, actually. Worldwide, we use around 100 million tons of plastic each year. At least 10% of that ends up in the ocean. It's hard to tell the exact numbers, and people disagree, but that is um, roughly what they think. Um, so um, an ocean currents have created kind of these several gigantic plastic soups, they called them, around the world. Um, and again, no one knows the exact size, but they could cover up to 16 million kilometers squared, which is the combined size of Europe, India, and Mexico put together. And these plastic soups have been growing 10 times in size every decade since the 50s. This is not sounding great, is it? Um, there is, it does get better. Um, but we need to understand where we are at. Um, so I don't know how you deal with um, those sorts of stats and big figures, and it's hard to imagine. Um, but this picture, uh, it, I don't know if you can tell what it is. It's probably very hard to tell what it is. Um, it was created by an artist, and, and this was the best part of um, 10 years ago, actually. He created this. Um, that is two million plastic bottles. Um, and that, he created it because at the time, the statistics said that in the US alone, they were throwing away two million plastic bottles every five minutes. Uh, the stats have moved on, uh, and now we throw away about a million plastic bottles worldwide every single minute. Every minute. Very few of them um, are recycled. And that is partly because we're unaware, and that is partly because there isn't necessarily the infrastructure. And so the problem here really is that we are just consuming too much. Um, and, you know, plastics often get a bad press, but I must say, plastics have helped us often. Um, plastics have helped, we've had huge benefits in healthcare, um, reducing food waste. And reducing the weight of transport, which reduce carbon emissions. But it is this overconsumption of throwaway items that is part of the problem. We are overconsuming. And so I don't know if anybody knows what happened. I mean, if you were here in the first service, you might know. Uh, but uh, what happened on July the 29th last year? Does anyone know 
I'm not necessarily expecting anyone. It's a little bit of a trick question. Um, but the 29th of July was Earth Overshoot Day. And this was the day in the year that we used up all of the resources available to us to use within that year. And so that is really what is available for us so within a year that the Earth can rejuvenate itself um, in order for us to continue using more. So I don't know if you remember what happened on July the 30th last year. If you didn't remember July 29th, you might not remember July 30th, to be fair. But actually, not, nothing. Nothing really changed. I mean, my lights stayed on. Um, I kept eating. I kept using resources. And I presume most of you did too. Which means that from July the 30th until the end of the year, what we were doing was borrowing resources from this year. And we've been doing this now for a good few decades. So uh, in 2017, um, Earth Overshoot Day was August the 1st. In 1990, um, Earth Overshoot Day was mid-October, so the 11th of October. In 1970, Earth Overshoot Day was the 29th of December. So we were kind of doing all right there. We were on track. And over those years, we've got earlier and earlier and earlier in the year. So we have been borrowing and borrowing and borrowing for that long. Now, when we borrow and borrow and borrow and don't give back, what happens? This isn't a trick question. <laughs> we go bankrupt, right? I mean, hopefully we, we're aware of that. If we keep borrowing, we're going to run into problems. And that is what is beginning to happen. We are hitting this problem, and not only for ourselves now, but we have been borrowing from future generations. This is a real issue, and we're, we have often been ignorant. We've not known, but now we know, and so now is the time that we should be doing something about it. Um, now, the uh, good news is, if um, there could be some good news to this, um, is that things were designed this way. It was designed for us to be over-consuming. So this is an economist writing in the 50s. Now, this is published in an academic journal, in the Journal of Marketing. Um, and Victor Lebeau, he writes this. So our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals. It's very spiritual language he uses. That we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, replaced, and discarded at an ever-accelerating rate. 1955, he wrote that. I mean, fair play to him. <laughs> His vision is what we see around us. Things were designed this way, which means we actually need to reimagine the world differently. It wasn't just inevitable that we ended up in this place, which means that there is possibility and opportunity for change. Um, and so uh, 
the way that um, mass consumer capitalism works with us is that it works on two really powerful human emotions or, or, or human um, capacities. First is in our imagination, and secondly is in desire. And so what it does, and if you study advertising, you'll know this, what you're trying to do is capture people's imagination. And so the adverts say, imagine how your life would be if you wore these clothes. You would look like this person. Imagine how your life would be if you, wore, um, if you drove this car, if you um, had the latest technology. Imagine how much easier and simpler your life would be. And as this imagination is stirred up in us, what that evokes in us is desire. And the desire in us becomes towards those things. Or it might be an experience. Imagine if you had this incredible dream holiday. Imagine if you had this even aspect of education. Imagine if you ate these sorts of foods all the time. And desire is, is towards those things. And this spiritual satisfaction is what he's talking about here. So that our desire um, is fulfilled by the things that we consume. And so what this needs is for us to reimagine with God and his kingdom. And so what does it look like to imagine with God? What does God imagine how the world would be? Do we have the capacity to do that? And as we imagine with God, as part, joining in with his story of restoration, our desire is stirred for God and his kingdom again. And that will bring in us a capacity to bring about change. You know, the issue that we have right now, and we are in crisis, we have a short amount of time to turn things around. And things are changing, and people are changing. People are changing their habits, but we need to see change at a big scale really quickly. Because this is affecting um, the environment. This is affecting the lives of people living in poverty, but it is also affecting our own spirituality. And um, I want to read to you this parable, and it is a parable that I've been rereading and rereading for the, for the best part of 10 years, actually. Um, and you'll probably know it well, and it's found in Mark 4, and it's the parable of the sower. Um, and so, uh, so Jesus is addressing the crowd, and it says, he taught, uh, he taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Um, now, as the parable goes on, Jesus begins to explain the parable uh, to his disciples because they didn't quite understand it. 
Now, when I first became a Christian and in my enthusiastic, um, you know, my faith was growing and as I read that parable and was taught that parable, what I thought and understood was, of course, I am the seed sown in good soil. The seed grows up and bears fruit or bears grain and multiplies. And as I've reflected more and more on this issue, as I've had the privilege of working at Tearfun and seeing and knowing what the church is doing around the world and the fruit that is born out in communities, I think I've begun to wonder that was I, am I, how sure am I that I was the seed sown in good soil? Because the seed sown in thorny soil, I don't know if you notice the difference. The seed still grows up, it's there, it's, there's a little plant to be seen, but what doesn't it do? It doesn't bear fruit. And when Jesus explains the parable, um, the, he says that the thorns are these three things. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. Where is our desire? What is it towards? What are we really longing for? And how much are we longing for God and his kingdom? For the restoration of all things. Yes, our relationship with him. Yes, our relationship with our global neighbors, with the community around us. Yes, to become whole and flourishing people ourselves. But what about the environment and this beautiful creation that he has made and loved? Is our desire to see those things in all of its fullness, in all of its flourishing? Because that's the desire of the kingdom, the longing of God to restore those things. And so... I love the fact that loads of people are waking up to this. I get nervous that different people begin, as, you, as people become aware, we start to feel guilty because we see where our lives don't add up and match up to what we realize needs to happen. But guilt will cripple us. But it's no good me just standing up to you saying, you need to change this, you need to change that, you need to change the other, because you probably already know that. And that isn't enough. What needs to change in us is our deep desire. And so then uh, we will find that uh, this verse, and I go back to it again and again, Romans 12, 1 to 2, and this is the message version. Uh, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. What are the three most important words in that verse? They're at the beginning. God helping you. We need to be transformed from the inside out. 
This has been a neglected area, certainly in the evangelical church, but beyond that as well. And this is where I became a Christian and grew up in, and I count myself as a part of that. I started with my confession, and I came slowly and reluctantly to this. But if we want to see the fullness of our own relationship with God, if we want to see transformation in every part of the world and society, we need to wake up to this, but we need God to help us in this. Because something deep in us needs to be changed. We have been taught by mass consumer capitalism around us. We've been taught by the culture that our desire can be fulfilled by other things. But we know as we come back to God and we come back to Scripture that that isn't possible. And so, yes, we need to change our own lifestyles and the things that we do in our own lives. And that becomes a part of our own discipleship. And uh, I, I mean, I love the fact that you've got your cups here. I carry my cup everywhere. Literally, um, I, tra- I have to travel for my work. I take this around the world. And this, for me, has become a symbol of my worship. Each time I use it, and my water bottle that I actually don't have with me today, but my water bottle as I use it is symbolic for me of saying, I am not going to accept the world the way it is. And even if it doesn't make a blind bit of difference to anybody else, this is about me bearing witness to Christ in a broken, messed up world. This is about me trying to be faithful to God in the way that I live. And so, yes, we need to change our own lifestyles. And as Christians, I fully believe we need to be leading the way on that. But we need a bigger change in society and culture. We need change in our policies, uh, in the way we understand how we govern. We need change in our economics and big business. But we need to come together with a uh, collective, organized, united voice to say we are not going to accept the way things are. Now, I don't know if they made it onto every seat, um, but there's some seats, but there's leaflets around and at the back. We at Tearfund have created the rubbish campaign. It is actually a rubbish campaign. Um, and this is about uh, getting people, like I said, in this organized, united way to lobby Um, some of the big businesses, so that is Coca-Cola, Nestle, PepsiCo, and Unilever, to do something about particularly the plastic that often goes to developing countries. Um, And the problem that we have with plastics in the ocean is often because there isn't the waste management infrastructure in developing countries to deal with the problem. And that's often how the rubbish ends up in the ocean, but it is also affecting the lives of people living in poverty. They're living amongst piles of waste that isn't being able to to be dealt with. And so we are asking people to join in with this. We've had thousands and thousands of people sign. All four companies have responded to us already, which is is quite astounding uh, given the companies that we are lobbying. If you want to join in with this, um, there's, I mean, either take, it's fine if not, take the card away and please pray. Um, for us, but you can sign and add your voice to that, and we'll collect them in at the end. 
But this is about waking up and saying, yes, we need to change the things in our own life, but we need an organized um, and targeted approach to seeing change. We need to speak up. And as the people of God, this is about us bearing witness to Christ. This isn't about us feeling guilty. This isn't about pointing out where each other get it wrong or where we don't quite um, you know, live up to the mark. But this is about encouraging one another and to say, yes, actually together, we can be the church, we can be a voice, and we can be, bring a transformation in this issue. Um, I am going to finish there um, and just pray for us, if that's okay.